the end no we just talking to oblivion until it gets so awkward that one of us has to make up an excuse like to leave like oh i'll have the stove on or something like that <laughs> okay no yeah we just get to a comfortable stopping point whatever the natural kind of flow of things is so it's really just you know however, however it flows it flows sort of thing good to know cool very cool cool so introducing my very very special honorable guest xenon garcia Hey, welcome to CCs. How are you? I wish this were a visual medium so everyone could see the smile on your face and then the presentation, the, the prestige afterwards. Oh, no. The fanfare was amazing. That was really good. I had an extra big smile for that intro as well. I so. know. I, I think it came across through the pitch pipe playing. Everyone, <laughs> everyone could tell. You could feel the vibrancy of my, my smile. Yeah, definitely. It comes through. <laughs> What's up, man? Man, it's good to see you, dude. It's been yeah, a minute. It really doesn't feel like it's been that long, honestly, but uh, in the grand scheme of things, it's been a minute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like um, like a year or... When I came through for those uh, shows you know, in Kentucky, I stopped, stopped by your place, and then I went to E-Town, and then I went to Bowling Green and played a couple shows. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You booked a tour even without using MySpace. Without MySpace? Who'd ever thought that would happen? Not me, man, no. and certainly not our band in the early 2000s. Yeah. Did you have <laughs> any suspicion when MySpace came out, like, that this is not going to last? Absolutely not. Me neither. Just... None. <laughs> no question. This is it. We've arrived. Here we it are. was awesome. Yeah. Well, how could you possibly improve this? What modifications could you make? Yeah, everybody should know who your top eight best friends are. Yeah, everyone should know. Yes. And I'm going to be pissed if I'm not on your top eight. Mm, Yeah, you know. And you don't need this whole thing where it's like, I am feeling blank. Or like so-and-so just ate a fish taco two hours ago. You don't see that on MySpace. (laughs) You know, just Facebook, what, like Twitter, stuff like that. We don't need all that. We just need MySpace. I just need MySpace and I just need pictures of myself looking in the mirror. Yes. Did you ever have that emo swoop? Absolutely, I did. I knew you had the, the long hair all around, but did you ever have like the, just the bangs? Oh, yeah. Like it was short all around. Yes. Like it was kind of like a fade a little uh, bit. Yes, like yes, it's yes. coming back, actually. The haircut's coming back. It is kind of coming back, but it doesn't have like the spiky thing sticking up in the back. Well, that's what you need, yeah. It was that, and then there was like a little swoop that came down. Mm-hmm. Yep. Just enough, Over one eye, like, just one eye. Oh, just enough, but you can't be too incognito, then you wouldn't pick up girls. That's true, yep. <laughs> it, you gotta, it's a level of mysteriousness. Not disappe- uh, You're not the invisible man, you're not disappearing, so no one knows who you are, where you are, what you're doing, what you're thinking, what your uh, eyes are doing. You got one eye. That's all you need to tell the world what you need to tell the world. Right there. <laughs> 
I'm already embarrassed. Oh, well. <laughs> Dude, oh, man, I was so emo. Um, did you ever wear actual girl pants or was it skinny jeans and stuff like that? Um, my first pair of girl jeans. Yeah. I woke up and I was at one of my great friend's house. His name was Drew Hanna. <clears throat> and he kept telling me that I would look. I That's great for the podcast listeners and everything. But I actually feel like I should interject. Drew is one of my very best friends. Oh. Hey. I, got, I got to point that. I know that you have dibs, chronologically speaking. But he and I were roommates for a year. Mm. Pretty close friends. Well, he taught me how to wear girl pants. That does not surprise me at all. Continue your story, please. Sorry to, <laughs> sorry to interrupt you there. But, oh, my friend Drew Hannah, it's like, come on, bro. <laughs> no, no, no one listening to this knows Drew, but our good friend. How about this? Okay, we'll compromise. Your good friend, my friend, oh. even though we were roommates for a whole freaking year. You all, did, you all did live together for a long time when you had really long dreads. I had long dreads and a big 750 motorcycle I parked on the porch. And you all had a basketball hoop inside your house. For no reason at all. And it was fun. It was fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Please, I'm sorry. I really am sorry. Please continue about the girl pants and Drew. I woke up and I would spend the night at his house every single night. We would just try to smoke as many cigarettes as we could and sure. and stay up forever mm-hmm. until we died. Anyways, we fell asleep, yeah, woke we up, <clears throat> and he just he just he just motioned to me to put the girl pants on. He motioned. <laughs> wordless anyways i ended up putting them on and i just felt good just felt don't like, they feel yeah, good i felt great I felt they're like, so this comfortable is what, this is what i want to happen yes and they were stretchy yeah the only downfall was that the pockets were too small see yes the pockets being too small and then the level to which you have to sag in order for your nuts to, not just to be constantly teabag <laughs> You know what I mean? Those are the two <laughs> things. Chick pants with big pockets. I'm going to be honest with you. And this would be a lot less embarrassing if it took place like a long time ago. But like two years ago, went to the thrift shop, got some chick pants. Mm-hmm. Nut huggers. Bad deal. I love the pants, but they're not, they're nut huggers. So <laughs> what do I do? I take some material off another pair of jeans, sew out a little hole at the crotch. <laughs> And make this huge patch over it to make room for my nuts. You couldn't see it if I was walking. If I, I was if I was sitting like open legged, you could totally tell this dude has a huge patch of a different colored jeans over his crotch. But I was so into these chick pants. The crotch pocket. Yeah, exactly. Patent that. I liked girl jeans because they were stretched. And they flared out at the bottom, mm, mm-hmm. and I could wear like super tight black t-shirts. Yes, and I could slam dance so hard oh, yes. and so furiously, and it was cool. All the cool people did it. Yeah, for sure, for <laughs> sure. Oh, I was so impressionable. I wonder if I'm still that impressionable. I probably. I have a feeling I am. I think I am too, honestly. But I don't wear girl pants anymore, Caleb. Well, I do. Hey, welcome to CCs. To, to CC's? <laughs> I have. Am I just being dumb right now? What's CC's? CC's is a pizzeria. And oh, every- CC's, the pizzeria. 
Yeah. Okay. Okay. And every time you open the door, they yell at you. Welcome to seasoning. Should I even say what I thought it was? Yeah, absolutely. Caleb's crotch. Because we were talking about me making room in the <laughs> and girl pants. I also, wear, I also wear uh, girl socks. You do? Why? They're so much more comfortable than dude socks. Really? Dude, they are. Go to Walgreens, two bucks, you get like five pair. And they're the most comfortable socks. They're so soft. They're thin. They keep you mm-hmm. warm, though. They're breathable. Mm-hmm. The sweat gets out. They stay dry. Love me some girl socks. All about it. And the colors. They're fun. You know what socks I love? Tell me about it. Like the tiny ones that like just cover your toes and they just go on your heel and they have the little like, gum drop. Then I can wear my Vans extra cool where you don't see my sock. Man, I'll I'll have to I'll have to get you an example someday. They're no show socks. That's what. No, yeah, the, I've heard of you know I've heard no show socks. The man calls them. Uh huh. Uh huh. But yeah, got it. Okay. 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 And I feel cool when I have them on. Cool. So tell me about God. Oh man, do you like that segue? I just did that for shock value. I was gonna ask you though if you want to. Yeah. No. No. Go ahead. Go ahead. You repeat your segue. So um. Something about God. Hey! 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 Welcome to the spiritual realm. The spiritual realm. We are no longer in the physical. We are in the metaphysical. Um, I was going to ask you about your upbringing and what led you up to be where you are right now. Because, you know, we met in college and I don't know if you knew that or not. It's not for the sake of a listener. I vaguely knew somebody wrote me a letter mm. last year saying you and I met in college. Oh, some somebody else wrote a third party wrote a letter that said that yeah, you and it was I. Very peculiar. It, it was unmarked. That's very strange. And it arrived uh-huh. under my pillow. It had to be the tooth fairy <laughs> yeah. or a colleague of hers. Ah, uh, yeah. yeah, right, right. They all need <laughs> jobs, you know. Yeah, man. Um, yeah, we met in college and. And you knew me at a very particular point in my life where I had abandoned the thought of anything spiritual really existing. I grew up in a household that cherished eternal truth in their hearts, but did not necessarily act out what they led me to believe. Like their actions didn't match up with their words. And I felt like they were very hypocritical. So, mm, yeah, wow. We went to church and I learned about Jesus and how to treat people, how to be a good Christian, quote, unquote, or whatever. And um, sure. after the family fell apart, yeah. uh, my parents' relationship, I just totally gave all that up. I also found a lot of solstice in my friends and yes, none of yes. them community, none of them trusted in anything spiritual. Actually, it was, it was more of uh, it was more popular at the time to just abandon all that. To, to abandon it, meaning that they were in it and then they turned from it. When you say abandon rather than avoid. Um, yeah, some of them, it was both. Like, I know that's the case with Ed. Yes. You know, I had him on the show and asked him about it, and that was his, you know, his circumstance. Some people did abandon it. Some people did avoid it. Like, 
a lot of my great friends were raised in church and I went to church with them and went to like retreats and remember praying with them. So maybe they did avoid it. Um, or maybe they did like me make a conscious decision to abandon it. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Did I uh, derail your thought there? Of what? You were saying uh, that you, you were in church and then got out of it when you started having more kind of secular friends and that kind of replaced that ritual, using that term liberally, like having that kind of set thing that you can do on the regular and having that group of people that care about you and love you and, and you know that, that you love them. And I, I think that's what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. That part was so heavy for me to have people who wanted me around, who made me mm. feel comfortable about who I was and what I was doing. Yes. And also, um, like we would talk about philosophical things that we thought were important. And like we thought even just an, an understanding of your own ignorance was like super important to have and to be aware of mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and almost like just willing to be apathetic about what other people think eternal truths are. Like we were fine with our apathy and we felt okay. like it was healthy. Would you call that it's, – it's almost nihilism. But you call that a worldview? Was that the binding force in that group of friends? Was that worldview? I won't call it a religion. Was that kind of the glue that held you guys together? There is a little bit of that. There is a little bit of objectivism where just um, going back to everything we ever do is done for selfish reasons. Now, by the way, I'm a musician. I don't study philosophy, so don't quote me on what my general emotional impression of objectivism is, but um, <laughs> I thought that that's what it meant where like, you know, you kind of see everything, everything you do is for selfish reasons. So um, we just kind of lived in, in those thoughts and mm. tried to be okay with that as best we could. And we were a man and we felt like we ruled the world. We started a band and we had our thing going. Yeah. That was awesome. And I've never seen anything else like it happen in another town. Like we started E-Town, Bowling Green, that area of Kentucky is insane with the music scene. Man, I love it. You never see that place coming. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. And it's like, it seems so small towny from the outside. So for us to develop some kind of music scene was, Mm. it was where I could pour my entire heart. Yes. Because I was seeing results from it. And you know? Yes. Yes. And it's so hard to see results from anything spiritual, especially when the people who are guiding you mm. are not like walking what they're talking about. Yep. You know, you you just not see any kind of spiritual benefit from what they're talking about. And then on top of that, the church that I was at was talking about money all the time. And what happened was they were building a new section of the church, the Family Life Center. That phrase sounds familiar to me, and not just one church. I feel like that's like a typical... Yeah, my church growing up had a Family Life Center. It was a gym. Yeah. It was was literally a gym. (laughs) But it's also the Family Life Center. No, it was a gym. (laughs) It was just a gym. Um, But they were building this, and they got people to pledge a whole new tie they're offering. They went through a whole process of really trying to get this whole thing going monetarily. You know, and I can remember thinking about the pastor and, and how much he affected my heart and my outlook on the world. 
And I felt like, you know, sometimes I'd go to church and I felt really inspired. But I remember going to church when I was 16, 17, around the time where I left it. I just felt like it was always about money. And to me, that was like a, that's like visually selfish. You know, it seems like if somebody's asking for money, like you have to be very aware to make sure that it's not from selfish means. You know, it's so easy for for people to pick that up, I suppose. So yeah, totally. That pastor ended up embezzling two million dollars from the church. Oh, are you serious? Yeah. And it was crazy, man. I would I, I would I I shouldn't even be that surprised. I mean, that's pretty commonplace to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. You know, scandals and embezzlements. And like there was some kind of sex scandal or something like that. Well yeah, so, yeah. You know, I left church Right at the moment when there was nothing spiritually eternal that I could see happening anywhere in those places. I could see no nothing that was important to me that I found in my friends, which was unconditional love, Mm -hmm. unconditional acceptance and a confidence. Yes. You know, and we had that man in my girl pants and my slam dancing day. Ah, That was your church. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like church and community are synonymous to an extent. I can understand that because church is a body of people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I do want to come back to your late teens and the time you were just talking about. But if I could, I want to just, just skip ahead for a split second and ask you if the finances and how they're being spent, which stereotypically you'd associate that with like a mega church. Mm-hmm. Or something like that that looks a lot more like a business, functions a lot more like a business. Um, they're all about the numbers, numbers of people, income, tithing, things like that, which, yes, is hypocrisy. Those are the people that Christ was the most angry at were hypocrites, you know. All throughout Luke, having a problem with hypocrisy is Christian. You know what I mean? Like, that is very, very, very Christian. And so I'm just curious, you attend a large church. Right now, last I saw you, do you still go to that same church? Yes, relatively large, like including children and youth, uh, probably like 1,400 people every Sunday. Okay, okay. So that's that's large for, you know, Kentucky. For Kentucky, sure, 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 yeah. I'm not saying that it's a mega church, you know, or anything like that. I, I just preface it and qualify it just to ask, number one, what does not turn you off? about a large-ish church that did turn you off about uh, the original church that you were going to? Well, we're boiling it down to my own interpretation of who the Lord is and how he reveals himself Mm. to me. Uh, You said briefly, and I'm paraphrasing, that megachurches were all about the numbers. Stereotypically. Um, uh Uh-huh, and... You know, I definitely think that has to be taken into account, especially like if the Lord has revealed that to you to be important and you've recognized that and you're in communication to him about that. I definitely feel like the numbers have to be important. I definitely feel like tithing has to be important if that's what's communicated to you as a leader of a church, Mm. Um, because if God's going to put a vision into you about the church, somehow you have to get that vision to everybody who is part of the church. Mm, that's a good way to look at it. Once they get that vision, I mean, 
It takes groundwork. It takes finances. Mm -hmm. It takes building relationships. Mm -hmm. It takes all kinds of things to build a church. Now, your question, uh, can you repeat the question? What I was wondering what turned you off about that church that you characterize as being hypocritical, among other things. A lot of it, it sounded like it might have to do with financial stuff and scan, you know, scandals and things like that. Is it just the lack of scandals, the more openness, and not so much you know, how they're using their money uh, in the new church? That I'm just wondering what turned you off about the one that you were going to when you were a teenager that you do not see in the church that you're going to now. Whereas, honestly, in all truth, from the outsider perspective, they might seem a little bit similar if you just walked into the door. Oh, they would seem extremely similar. Okay, okay. Um, even the pews are the stage set up, the carpet. That is too funny. It all looks very similar. I mean, they have coffee in the morning, like kind of bright and yes. gentle. What turned me off was this very deep-seated selfishness this very deep-seated darkness that i could okay that i was just sensitive to let me give you an example your best friend and you share a house he leaves and you play his video game and it breaks um and Uh uh you decide not to tell him that you broke it but that somebody else borrowed it okay okay so now you're living in untruth you're living in untruth. So when you see your friend the next time, you've made the decision to live in untruthfulness. You're going to react to that friend yes. in a very particular way. Your eye contact's not going to be direct. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's in the back of your head. And so it's a Yeah, you're going to be filled behave. with shame. And even if you try to stifle that shame, like anybody who is keen and perceptive and sensitive, is going to be able to pick up on that. I definitely think people who grew up thinking about that stuff when they were young, when they were kids, having really good friends to talk about it with, like I did, we were sensitive to that. And we also were bold about like being shameful. Like That was something that just having apathy towards structure and being okay with our mistakes and selfishness, we were just uh, deliberately bold about our selfishness. So I would see people at that church and I'm thinking about like the ministers and stuff like that. And it wasn't direct. Their communication wasn't direct. It wasn't heartfelt. It wasn't like I could detect shame. And then that just led me to like push myself a little bit farther away because their shame was fueling what they were trying to do at the church, that doesn't connect with people. And you're stifling something, you're stifling the truth and you're trying to lead people. It's never going to work. You're going to fail every time. Yeah. So this church that I'm at, man, I don't see a drop of, of hidden agenda. I don't see a drop of pride, which, I mean, I'm not going to say it's not there, because I'm sure it is. I mean, if, if I got to know all these people, yeah. I'm sure I'd see it. But I don't see like pride that hasn't been dealt with. You know, maybe these people are prideful, but look, I'm I'm almost positive that they all feel comfortable about displaying their weaknesses. And to me, man, if you display your weaknesses, you are allowing the spirit of mm. God to be perfected inside of you. Because only 
only when you are weak can the power of Christ be perfected. So, so I feel like I see that at this church, and I feel like they mm. are okay with me displaying my weakness towards them, mm. um, so I can be encouraged by them. Wow. Yeah. Wow, man, that was a great answer. <laughs> that was really, really good. Cool. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Perfect. We need like a hand signal or something like that. So you know that I want you to do it. None of this makes any sense in an audio format. <laughs> Anyhow. Um, so yeah, going back to when you were 17. So you decided to leave the church. You got your friends, unspoken support to live the way that you're living, to adopt this worldview that not only doesn't contain church, but maybe even resents it. I'm guessing it's a guess, but, uh, you know, yeah, of course, man, like we're bogus. Uh, right. Sure. Christians had their own culture Mm. and if you wanted to be a Christian, you had to be that culture. So it wasn't appealing to us, you know, and we knew a lot of Christians who were not as psychologically intuitive or Mm. not, as accepting philosophically. Right. No, it was just like, man, you all are just ignorant. Like you, you really don't, you just really don't get it. Right. You really yeah. let yourself understand more. That's what we thought about most Christians. Right. Right. Yeah. Do you see that still today in some Christians around you? Oh, dude, <laughs> that's just a people thing. Whether a you're a Christian thing. or not. Yeah. Like, so yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. People are just going to be ignorant no matter what. So my, I try to figure out, well, how do I love this person? Mm. And then that's a whole nother rabbit hole. Man. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, man. Yeah. Just, I feel like a lot of people who call themselves Christians feel like God is an eye in the sky, keeping tabs on them, watching them. And so they try to say the right things and do the right things. Oh, I'm supposed to help people. I'm supposed to, you know, do this mm-hmm. or that, or else I'm going to get a demerit that's going to oh, hurt, yeah. me, hurt me one day sort of thing. But oh, man, yeah. just you and I think I can name maybe one or two other people have such an internalized understanding of what it is to be Christ to others, to be loved to others. How can I genuinely help other people and like wow. you, can, you can think about people you know who have gone through quote unquote conversion experiences been born again or you know freaking justin bieber was just just became a christian you know but you know that oh yeah dude he's i've seen videos of him and a little yeah. bit of his testimony and he's he's on fire dude <laughs> yeah you know i can't judge the guy i don't know the guy you know i, I don't mean, know the guy. <laughs> what i mean by that i, I should clarify is that you can keep on being a pop star, selling what you're selling, singing the same songs, but now, oh yeah, by the way, I'm a Christian. But with you, man, like you've always loved people. You've always gone out of your way for people. But just the way that you, it's like those corny WWJD bracelets. But like you're just, <laughs> you're just living it, man. You're living, well, you're living, you're living love, man. And and it's and it doesn't seem like you're doing it to get. A prize that's waiting for oh, you. Man. See, oh man! See that—that's what—that's—that's that's, I think just what Christianity really boils down to is—is is the here and now and treating people, you know, here and now. Not whereas for most Christians, it's about getting to heaven, about not going to hell, yeah. and, the, and that's not what the Bible is all about. Well, 
No, 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 no. It's not about it's. I mean, the afterlife is cool. I mean, super cool. It's going to be, I mean, it's what I hope for, but Mm. it's about developing a relationship built off of faith because of how he has proven himself to you. And, and maybe not that, but like how he has, how he has proven your worth to him. That's a better answer that I agree with way more than the previous answer. Like I felt completely accepted in the most desperate times where I was trying to control my own self. So I was sinning. And even today, man, like I can think of a moment where I deliberately sinned and I still cry out to God. I love you. I'm still going to worship you because I know that it's about relationship. It's about serving him through faith and like with faith comes obedience for sure. But I think there's a point where you have to, you have to digress to what reconciles you to God. And that is that you are fully accepted by him Mm. through his son, Jesus. So if you can trust, which is really hard, it's really hard to fully trust that Jesus makes up for all your sins. If you can trust that, you can live in the fact that you don't have to do anything to appease God, to get a more upright standing. Um, and actually, you have to learn how to not do anything sometimes. Right. And be still and know that he is God. Sometimes you got to cut back on the work. And just and just allow God to uphold you. And sometimes that happens when I feel like I'm going down a sin road. And sometimes I really try to fight it and try to be obedient. Um, and sometimes I just can't do any of those. And I just become really apathetic. And I just need God to show up in my life somehow. But In those moments when you need God to show up, do you ever have doubts? Um, no, not anymore. I used to when I was younger, but at this point, I've seen God work in really kind of crazy ways, like spectacular ways in my life. So I don't doubt as of late, Yeah, but I'm not going to say that I'm never going to doubt again because... I mean, this life's a journey, and I know it's going to get way harder in way different kind of areas, but I hope that I can just have a little bit of faith in the Lord. And I also know I'm chosen by God to be delivered into his own hands. Mm. Are you a Reformed theologist? Calvinist? Um, I don't. I have no idea. Do you think like that God only chose X number of people to be saved sort of thing, and they're already on a list, and that's it? Um... I know that he has predestined some people Mm. and he calls many, but few are chosen. He he calls many. So he's choosing to call, but few, few are chosen or few accept the call. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know, but I definitely do know that I am chosen Uh and I can't get away from it, man. I Uh can't. My name is Zenon. And that means the way. 
which is what wow. my parents have been telling me That's ever so since cool. I was I had born. No idea. They they named my middle name is Forrest with one R, not R. like Forrest Gump, even though that was a great movie. Yes. Uh, so they made my name the way through the forest. That's what they wanted. That is really cool. You know, John fourteen six. One of Jesus's disciples asked Jesus, "What is the way to God?" And he said, "I am the way." the truth, and the life. No other shall come to the Father except through me. Uh So it's just like, when I figured this out, and I was like, wait, my name means the way. But Jesus is the way. Uh You know, so it's just like, it's it's inescapable for me to get away from from Jesus being responsible for me. Mm. So when I get really down, and I feel like, I mean, I feel so weak to the point where it would be easier to doubt. Instead of me doubting, I just get really pitiful and really apathetic. Mm. And uh, just I almost make God show up in my life or else I'm just going to deliberately wither away. Mm. You know, and and I'm not saying that's what people need to do because, I mean, I suffer for that. But God has, has worked inside of that maybe not because of that but he certainly worked in my life inside of all my apathy and pity you know and i'm just like well f it god you know if you're real i get like that sometimes i'm like you know screw this god if you're real if you're real god and i get so indignant with him if you are real you better Deliver me into your glory because oh, like, oh, the Bible mm. says mm. that I'm going to be delivered into you mm. and your nature is glory. Like you're like a fill up my cup and it runs over kind of God. You're like all things work together for my good kind of mm. God. So I'm like, well, what is this? If you're real, right. you're really going to do that. And then mm. I leave the conversation with him angry. Yeah, sure. I think it's good to be angry at God, you know, not not in and of itself, but if you feel anger expressing it, even if it's towards God, I think is absolutely important. Uh Yeah, because we're human, right? Doesn't he want us to be real? Yeah. Look at half the, you know, the, the, the Psalms. I mean, you know, David was always... Going on and on about how frustrated he was with God, you know, and, mm-hmm. and see, see some of that in Job and stuff like that. I mean, especially in the more uh, Abrahamic tradition, you see a lot of people just raising their fist at God, you know, and mm-hmm. I think that's a, it's a healthy thing. Jacob wrestled with God and became Israel, you know, <laughs> literally wrestled. Yeah. He was wrestled with the dude. He fought and the dude. One. And one. And one. And one. And I'm not talking about basketball and one either. You know, I ain't talking no alley you. <laughs> no, that would be cool though. I'm all about that. <laughs> <laughs> so what? W- what was your uh, coming? You know, back to you being a teenager. You're with your friends. You go to college. You know, you, you're still. You're the most one of the most Christ-like people who has wants nothing to do with Christ that I knew in college. <laughs> so loving, go out of your way, do anything for anybody. Would you say that you had a conversion experience? And if so, like when did that happen? I did. I can backtrack and I, I can. Please do. 
I can tell you exactly, exactly the two people who influenced me the most to uh, in the early stages of uh, being reconverted, I suppose, if you can be reconverted. I don't know, man. That's theology that I haven't studied. But Calvinists, FYI, if you want to become one, would say, no, you can't be. You've always been saved, but you just didn't know it part of the time. (laughs) Well, yeah, I suppose that's it. I'm not a Calvinist. I'm just letting you know if you want to be one. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, cool. Um, anyway. Sorry. sorry. I keep interrupting you. I'm sorry about that. I like your interruptions. They're pleasant for me. They just okay. my start. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, your reconversion. I, uh-huh. I came, I came to Western Kentucky and I met you and I also met this girl named Ashley. Yeah, I know Ashley. Yeah. I know. She's great, man. She's yeah, my yeah. dream girl. She's something she, Yeah, dream girl. Yep, I remember that. Uh, Cameron also met his dream girl. Dream girl, yep, yep. Everyone had a dream girl. And we all talked about these dream girls. Yeah, and everyone always knew which dream girl was being referred to somehow. I never got that. Dude, did you see dream girl at the cafeteria? No, uh, but I did see dream girl. Oh, dream girl. Oh. <laughs> I sat behind her in psychology. And we met for three hours every Monday night and uh, I developed a relationship with you. And I was very like, like you said, I didn't really want anything to do with Christ. Uh, But I I do have this natural knack for wanting to either be accepted by people. Oh, to the point where I want to make them feel comfortable, even if they are disrespectful to me. So that was my point of reference for trying to develop a relationship with this girl. Oh, I see. Okay. Okay. She didn't really want much to do with me, but I thought she was awesome. And on her left forearm, she had a tattoo and it said, God is love. And around that, around those words were an iris and it was in all black and she was cool. And I had like one tattoo and I liked the Mars Volta a whole lot. She had long, she had long brown hair and <laughs> she she looked like Cedric. <laughs> she looked like the, the lead singer of the Mars Volta. And I don't know, I just I just really appreciated her for her spirit. And she seemed mm, accepting yeah. and loving. And so I remembered specifically driving along with you and dude, I still think about this to this day. I was driving along with you in E Town and we watched a light go out a street light go out and you said you said it always makes me think about god and that he's thinking about me when a street light goes on and off you said something to that effect yeah right yes i did that for a few years Uh so i mean dude still to this day to this day wow yeah man i still think about that but I was wondering, it's like I met these two people. I met you and I met Ashley. I met these two people who loved Jesus. And I'm like, what about these two people was special? And mm, wow. so I started to let in the idea that maybe there is some kind of spiritual thing that is eternal. Okay. That, that mm-hmm. spans across time and is yes. never not existing. Okay. And I remember one time sitting in my basement, I uh, just closed my eyes and I imagine 
that this thing was the proponent of all energy. You know how like planets move around suns and like chi. Oh, you mean physical physical energy. energy? And it was also like there's also unseen energy. Okay, okay, like ether. Yeah. So this is what I pictured: the entire universe. That energy moves through everything in the entire universe, and I pictured myself in my basement with that energy funneling down all the way to the earth and the funnel gets smaller as it gets lower uh, or closer to the surface. And it goes all the way down into the top of my house and it goes all the way through the house into the basement and it goes into my head. So I imagine this energy just kind of pouring into me. Wow. And I sat there for 10 minutes just trying to imagine this energy. At first, before I did this, I felt just downtrodden and again apathetic and like i had no friends no direction and then after after i did this little meditation i suppose yeah i felt uplifted and my outlook changed i felt hopeful it was a very special time for me so after that i started thinking that god was like the orchestrator of everything through through mm-hmm. energy. And I was like, where did all the energy come from? Like, that was what my mm-hmm. question was. And I was like, well, that's God, you know, he's the creator of all of that. So the moment I came back to God, um, well, I'm, I'm going to get there in a second. My brother at the time, he's a minister and he loves. Oh, the- right. Uh huh, and he loves uh, he loves pouring into me. So for a long time, he would try to talk to me about Jesus, and I'd be like, you know what, Ferris, you know, just thank you, but like, you know, not interested kind of deal. But then, you know, yeah. he he would go to say he stopped talking, he stopped trying to talk to me about Jesus, and he would just try to love me um, for for who mm-hmm. I was and accept me, make yeah. me feel that kind of acceptance that my friends made me feel. Anyway, so that started to get a that started to work a real toll, and then I started to think about you know how does how does Ferris think about Jesus? How does how do my old friends think about Jesus? Specifically, thinking about you and Ashley. Um, wow. And I was at school, and I still had the basic understanding of who Jesus was and what he came to the earth to right. do. And I had a I had a girlfriend at the time, and she was studying in New Zealand. And I became a person I never wanted to be, staying up late, indulging in things that I certainly should have not, like substances. Oh, I and I ended up cheating on my girlfriend. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Wow. I'm sorry. With somebody who I never, ever expected I would be with, you know, somebody spiritually who was the opposite of what I thought was good or safe. Mm. Mm. So I was crying. It was like six in the morning. My dad had come to pick me up and drive me home. And I woke him up just in tears. And I told him, I want to know Jesus like you and Ferris. Ferris is my brother. For the listeners, wow. Because I needed a savior. I needed somebody who would atone for my sins. I needed somebody who would, who would be like, I know, dude, you don't, you're not responsible anymore for the eternity of your actions. You're wow. like, you are putting your trust into my hands. 
So that was wow. the moment I rededicated my life to God in my in my heart. Yeah. Like I still was living for myself, you know? Yeah. I was going to music school in Boston. I moved back to and um, right. I got a job. I didn't tell my girlfriend I cheated on her, of course, because I thought that if you wanted to keep her, you don't you don't tell her. I continued to cheat on her one bad thing after another. So like when you live in shame, yeah. like you allow yourself to still like walk all the way to the precipice of sinning and mm. you just imagine that you're magically not going to sin, you know? So <laughs> that's a really good way to put that. In. So I walked up to that precipice many times thinking that I wasn't going to, and lo and behold, it'd be me and like one other girl up talking late at night. And then all of a sudden here I am yeah. cheating on my girlfriend. Well, I couldn't handle that anymore. I had this newfound spirit and I had to, I had to answer the call of it being consistently pressing on me living in darkness, me living in a lie that I hadn't told her about. So I called her one day Mm, um, and I told her, and I didn't even tell her the entire truth. I just told her I kissed a girl and that just destroyed her. It broke all trust. I mean, she broke up with me. We tried to date again, but it didn't work out. So because of that, my story about God really begins in this kind of fashion. I was broken, brokenhearted. I didn't have her. But like I found myself turning to God in in a new way because I was so hopeless. And then again, here goes my my apathy and pity and anger all compiling into this kind of this kind of uh, relationship with God. And it was this, God, you mm. work for me and I will work for you. If you are all powerful and mighty, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to dedicate my life to serving you and you are going to create me the way you already have. And I, I just knew in my own ignorance that I was going to become a rock star. Like this was, this was what I wanted. This was my dream ever since I was a kid. This is why I went to music school. I just wanted to be a rock star. And also around the same point, my friend Ryan, who's an amazing person, uh, he said, why don't you just move up to New York city with me and get a job, become a drummer, you know, sounds good. And I like, at that point I was considering it, Um, but I still, I still didn't know exactly what I was going to do. Right. But I made a decision to serve God. I made a decision to turn to him and, and let him fulfill me. So I was going to go back to the church that I left when I was 17. I was now 22. No, 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 no. I was 23. I'm sorry. Uh, from 17 to 23, I had, I had quit going to this church and I was like, okay, well, I'm going to go back. Well, and I was trying to go early, so I got there like 15 minutes after service started. It'd be like an hour before another service started. I was like, I'm going to go get breakfast. Well, I went to this breakfast spot that I thought was um, that I thought was great. And lo and behold, it had been so long since I'd gone there. They were also closed. No way. Yeah. So I was like, well, I'm just going to sit out behind this breakfast shop. It was sunny and it was nice outside. It was that was great nice. in the morning, Sunday yeah. morning. 
It always seems sunny on Sunday. Doesn't it? I don't know. It just, I don't know I, why. I don't know what it is. Maybe that's with the uh, Sun God Ra. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know much about that. Oh, for real? The Sabbath yeah. was always on Saturday. Oh, no, I know about the Sabbath, but the Sun God Ra. I don't oh, know he's an Egyptian god of the sun, and they uh, worshipped him on the Sunday. That's right. This sounds familiar. And so we kind of did the, the pagan Christian mashup thing and said, okay, you can keep your day of worship, but now we're going to worship our god, Yahweh, instead of Ra sort of thing. I wonder where that came from. That's a good question, yeah. I don't know. It may not have even been like a, a, an Egyptian colonization, but I know it's somehow affiliated with the fact they used to worship Ra on Sunday. Anyway. Mm. Anyways, I was sitting behind this restaurant, and I decided that I was just going to sit there and, and pray and discuss with God what I was doing with my life because I obviously didn't know when church was, and I obviously didn't know when, when anything else was. Like as far as restaurants opening and whatnot. Anyways, I was praying. I was like, what am I going to do with my life? And this little kind of, this little feather started floating down. This white, fluffy feather. It looked like a down feather. And it was like really high. It was probably like 40 feet up. I remember seeing it. And it was like really gently floating. And then it just came slowly down to me. I was seriously, I stuck out my hand thinking that seriously the feather was going to float down to me. Uh Uh-huh. I stuck my hand out, and right before it came into my hand, the wind picked it up, and it flew up and over the building and was gone. So I took that. For some reason, that meant to me like I needed to get up and go somewhere. And Ryan had been talking to me about New York City, so I decided to get up and go to New York. Wow. And so my whole premise with God which was the pinnacle of this portion of my story was that my relationship became a quid pro quo relationship with God. You use your power to my benefit, God, because you're almighty and all powerful. And I will dedicate my entire life to serving you. So that's what I did. I moved up to New York City, and my first order of business was to find a church. Also to find a job, but to find a church. And um, I can remember with my bro- talking with my brother because he was kind of talking me through some decisions I was making and helping and just loving me through it. Yeah. But I called up a church and I went to their office. Went and talked to like one of the pastors there, the worship pastor. I told him I was a drummer, and they were like, "Come by and check out the church." You know, we need a drummer anyway. Nice. So, yeah, it was great. It was like it all lined up for me. So I ended up becoming the drummer of that church for a year and a half. Oh wow! And, uh, I got odd and jobs doing TV and film production. Um, I worked as a barista, making lattes, nice. trying to make people happy. Yeah, there was a rich moms that came into our coffee shop and i loved it man they're just always so enjoyable they're always like they always have little kids and it's fun to just goof around with them i love the moms. yeah <laughs> <laughs> love them moms Give me more moms <laughs> um so i don't even know where my story's gonna go after that yeah would you say that there that anything significant happened between then and now to make you 
what you are as far as the mold that you're in spiritually and, and how you react to things. And Oh my gosh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So my relationship with God was that kind of quid pro quo relationship. Okay. After about three months of going to that church, it really hit me that I did not have to work for salvation. Salvation was gained through grace, uh, faith alone, faith. by grace, mm-hmm. through faith. So I was like, what? I can seriously do or not do anything and and still be accepted mm. by God mm-hmm. and not only accepted, but delivered deeper into God. Yeah. This was this was the understanding that came to me that really made me more passionate about God than anything mm-hmm. else. But yeah, man, just that came to me recently too. The idea that, you know, we always say God, the father, uh-huh. you know, it's, a, it's a trope almost, you know, it's a, it's a catchphrase. Uh-huh. But when you really break it down and just just take an earthly father, an imperfect father, and the, and what would they not do to save the lives of their children, to, oh, to yeah. keep them out of harm's way? And so how much more so would a perfectly loving God just expel endless grace uh-huh. to all of his children? And, and scripture says we are all children of God. Absolutely. You know, and so that grace is not only available, but essential, really, when it comes down to it, because it is built into the very woodwork of everything. Yeah, man, it's just, and like, it was mind-blowing for me to even think that I could deliberately disrespect God, and he still wants to give me his kingdom. Right. That's that's what I still can't wrap my head around, because... That's not logical. Right. It's not wise. It's not, it does not make sense. Mm-hmm. You know, it's only like this really crazy kind of supreme unconditional love that, unconditional, yeah. that, that I feel like we only have an example of because of Jesus, you know, yes. like he was, he, people were disrespecting him as he was dying for them, yep. yeah. you know, and he still died for them. And he still said, father, forgive them. But they know not what they're doing, you know? So it's just like, even in their ignorance, Jesus was asking God to forgive us, you know? So so when I found out that all I had to do was accept his forgiveness through faith and what he did for me, um, that was like really, a really just crazy thought, which like made me feel more accepted than any friend that I ever had, Mm. than any parent that I ever had. Um, and it just made me want to dedicate my life more to him. Yeah. Anyways, God led me to my dream come true. I got on Craigslist. <laughs> so that's so dangerous. Don't even do that. <laughs> I got on Craigslist and I looked up uh, drummer auditions. You know, again, I'd moved to New York City to you know, uh, God, I'll serve you if you serve me kind of deal. Sure. You know, um, looked up drummer auditions and I saw one that looked appealing. So I sent them a video. They hit me up. They said, well, come to, uh, come to this place in Greenpoint and you can audition with me. Um, so I did. And I remember just like, I had to walk down this alley 
and then up these stairs and it was just it was just definitely like spiritually different mm. very spiritually different than what i was used to i was used to something similar to what you see in the bible mm. you know love um peace um unconditional love and um the spirit that i sensed when i was going to this place was just way different okay yeah. Anyways, I met this gentleman and this gentleman had been a proponent for hardcore music in the late 80s oh, cool. in New York. So I met him. Um, we talked briefly and then he had a drum set in his room. So I go in and I, I get behind the drum set um, and on the wall, he had a picture of Jesus okay. holding a lamb. Okay. And it was not like it was not like a picture of Jesus I've seen before because like the spiritual impression I got from this picture was not of, of how I understood Jesus. Mm. Anyways, that whole place was absent of what I had grown to understand God's love like. Mm. And, um, so anyways, we had practice. He loved the way I drummed and I felt accepted and I felt like it could be an, uh, like a really good opportunity yeah. for me to become a rock star. I went home and told Ryan about it and, um, man, it was cool. I kept going back to practice. We had practice with another guitarist. Then we had practice with a guitarist and a bassist and the whole time I was getting on the internet on their YouTube and looking up uh, their channel so I could learn the songs, so I could write down the songs and learn them and memorize them for practice. And their password had something to do with 666, like okay. in the password. And to me, that's a very specific number. Right. That's not an accident. No, which refers to Satan. Well, yeah, sure. So I had this kind of weird dichotomy of mm. wanting to go to practice because I felt like God left, led me there. Like he wanted me to become a rock star, right? This is what I moved up to New York city for. And also it was very blatant that this wasn't of the Lord. It was from the opposition of God. Okay. With whatever that is. <laughs> Do you believe in Satan as a, a literal being? Like actually walking on the earth at some point? Yes, in some kind of form. Walking like on the earth? Like a serpent, right? The Bible says a serpent. Yeah. Honestly, I take it more metaphorically, but but yeah, it, yeah, it does. Yeah, it says that, yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm going to go with that. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I'm not trying to change your mind or anything. I'm just wondering what you think. That's all. Um, so I felt myself becoming more self-indulgent when I was going to these mm. practices. I'd want to drink okay. more beers. I'd want to right. You're around it. Yeah, you know, I felt accepted. They thought I was a killer drummer. So, like, um, you know, I felt that acceptance again, and I just knew. I knew I had come to this pinnacle of my time in New York where I had to make a decision. Was I going to chase what I wanted to chase or was I going to deliberately let that go in an act of faith 
in God. And mm. I had, you know, I got a tattoo right before I moved up to Boston for music school. And it was, uh, it's auto de fe. Funny thing. It's a Mars Volta quote from. Okay. Okay. Um, but it means act of faith or leap of faith. It was always mm. really easy for me to take acts of faith or leaps of faith in whatever I felt like I needed to for that. For when I got mm. the tattoo, it was like a leap of faith in myself that I can achieve what I set my mind to. Mm-hmm. But, sure. you know, at this point in my life, when I was in New York, I remembered, you know, I have a tattoo of that and I still believe in it. And it, the whole reason I'm in New York is because I took a leap of faith in God. And he had yeah. brought me to making a choice. Was I going to really serve him even though he gives me everything I want, everything I could desire I had? Right. They were, I was going to get signed to a major record label. We were going to play big shows around the world for thousands and thousands wow. of people. We were going to le- release wow. a record. And not only release the record, their plan was to get other bigger artists to sue them for... <laughs> Infringing, Sounds like a Ponzi yeah, scheme. Infringing on copyright laws. So, like, this was their plan. This is the old plan. slip and fall, eh? <laughs> so, I had to make a decision. I was like, God, I know that I could do this and I know that you'd be with me. Mm. But I also know that you brought me here to make a decision. Am I going to let go of my life so I can serve you or am I going to not? So it was one of the hardest decisions I've ever ever had to make, but I, I let go yeah, big. of the decision to serve God through being in that band. I let go mm. of my dream of being a rock star per se, uh, the way I mm. thought it would turn out. And man, I was just broken. I was I had no idea why I was in New York after that. My none of my friends uh, could understand what, what the decision I made because it's crazy to not right. do something you move to New York to do to do when yeah. you have it all there in front of you. Right. right. So um, I was trying to figure it out, I suppose, just trying to make sense of it all. I got I got crazy drunk one time and was just so mad. So mad at God. This was after I'd quit the band. I went up on a roof of my apartment and I had a 12 pack of rolling rock and I just started drinking it, sitting in a chair on the roof, looking, uh, looking towards Manhattan. And I knew this giant storm was going to engulf the city. And I just waited up there for the storm. And I could see it within a minute and a half. I could see all of Manhattan and then I could see none of Manhattan. And this oh my lord! Was wow. Raging towards Brooklyn, and that is unreal. I I got up and like kicked over the chair, tore my shirt off, and was just yelling, praying, crying, just yeah. very very upset, very very upset because I didn't get what I want, and I gave it all up for God again. So I was very downtrodden for about a week after that. I ended up going to a concert with people from my church. They bought us uh, tickets to this band called Jesus Culture. I went there and I was just like not affected 
by the music, not affected by anything. Right. Um, and I just, I wasn't enthused. I just went because, you know, I'm still there to serve the Lord, you know, and even, even if I'm going to be apathetic and emotional, darn it, I'm still going to serve the Lord the best way I could. So my friend was in a wheelchair. He had hurt his feet. So, so I thought I'd push him around and, and halfway through the set, I just started crying and crying and crying. Just feeling the warmth, like literal warmth, mm. and feeling wow. accepted, and that I was okay, and that I'm going to be okay, and that it's all, it's mm. all the way it needs to be. And after that encouragement, you know, I went on my life wondering, you know, what was I going to do? What happens? What God always does with me is that He always finds a way to encourage me. And I look for that and I bank on that because that's if, if I don't have his encouragement, man, I, I won't I won't be able to do anything. I'll be immobilized. You know, I can't I can't function if I'm not encouraged. Mm-hmm. How does that manifest itself to you being encouraged by God? Is it a feeling in your heart? Is it people around you giving you encouragement? Is it you reading scripture? What is that? It's a, well, it can come through reading scripture and it can come from other people, but it's this like, it's, it's a feeling of ambition that is, that is reconciled with, um, a a leap of faith. Like I have to take a leap of faith and also feel this like passionate ambition, um, for me to, to feel like that encouragement is coming from God. You know, anything I get from God always has to reflect back to God. I'm not going to believe that it's encouragement from him unless he is going to be glorified in some way. Mm. So that's how I can tell that I'm encouraged by the Lord. It's because I want to work more for him. You know, I want to do more for him and I want to bank on him more. And I want to take more risks because mm-hmm. of it. And I want to like, you know, I just want to let it happen. Anyway, so I I gave up the band and I finally gave up. Well, maybe, you know, maybe I'm not here to to be in a band. Right. Maybe I'm not going to be a drummer. And I had to like many times I had to say out loud, God, I'll give up drumming. I'll give up music if if you if you will just let me bring glory to you. Uh-huh. Anyway, so I had previously quit my job in an attempt to kind of uh, pin God into working for me, delivering me into a band or delivering me into the next portion of my life. I deliberately quit my source of income right, uh, to make God work for me. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> at this point, after I quit the band and after I was – brokenhearted and then and then encouraged again by god i i i found out that it was okay for me to work for god um any kind of way any kind of way that i could i could find was glorifying to him i was allowed to do that to bring him glory Mm -hmm. and that was a new kind of idea because it was all previously it was all about god working for me you know right god like deliver me into what i am very selfish. Yeah, and I gave up 
And very commonplace, too. I mean, oh, yeah. <laughs> come on, evangelical churches, you know. It's not unseen. And I'm not dissing evangelical churches. I'm just sure, saying that sure, sure. that's a place where where it's often taught from the pulpit. You know, this kind of prosperity gospel sort of thing. Yeah, and um, I found out that I could work for God, so I decided, you know what, God, I'm going to get a job. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> word to you. Well, I applied to a couple jobs here and there. I was working on TV and film, and the church I was at, they hired me for a couple things here and there. The last step that I took to to make a life of myself in New York was applying for an insurance job with some kind of firm in downtown Manhattan. And I would have had benefits. I would have had, you know, whatever. So I worked really hard to put together this resume, and I met with this dude who was a brother in Christ who said, you know what, I'm going to try to help you with this so you can get this job. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to get a job for for the Lord. you know. And it's not something I want to do per se, but I'm allowed to work for God. So um, I didn't get the job. I didn't even get an interview because <laughs> my, wow. my thing was so bad, and I was, you know— And then it kind of backtracked all the way to where I was at. Like, no longer did I see myself having to be in New York City. I was like, well, what am I going to do? I can go anywhere in the world and do anything. Yes, I know the feeling. Uh Uh-huh. And um, I had lunch with my pastor somewhere around that time. And he asked me, what do you want more than anything? Mm. And my worldly answer, of course, was a family. You know, <laughs> sure. I don't think I don't think that's exclusively worldly. You know, I can understand that. Yeah. You know, I still have like, man. If we get into what, like, if we get into my serious weaknesses of what I think about God, you'll see that I wrestle with myself back and forth all mm. of the time on on so on so many deep things. It's such. It's this has to be a faith based thing for me because I'm just so stupid on my own. <laughs> for real man it's just, it's silly it's silly how back and forth I go in my head about stuff I don't know if that's a bad thing though man you know having those uh, if something doesn't sit right with you I think it's important that it doesn't yeah. you should chase it down you should wrestle with it and it's a growing experience and a learning experience I think alright so we'll put a pause real quick on my story then I'm going to ask you about something else. we're going to put yes. a pause right at me um deciding to leave New York and why I decided. Okay. All right. So the pause is for this deep, deep down. Uh I struggle with the idea of why do I serve God? Um, because you know, I want to think that, um, I serve God to bring him glory, you Mm -hmm. know? And that's what I mean, because I've seen the glory of the Lord, and it's amazing, and it's life-changing. And I want other people to experience, like, the deep acceptance from the Lord, Um, and it's awesome. And that glorifies God's name. But what happens if God is glorified? If God is glorified to us anyways, we'll be able to experience his glory. And who does that benefit? That benefits me. Sure. It's just like... So it's this like vicious circle of just like, do yeah. I serve God for God or do I serve God so I can benefit from God's glory? Sure. Yeah. 
It's like in Buddhism, they say the very first step on the path to enlightenment is a selfish one. In order to want to be enlightened, or in Christian terms, saved, you have to want it for yourself. It is a selfishly motivated action. But yeah, man, in all truth, I don't have a problem doubting and maybe even not believing in true altruism. That doesn't really bother me so much. Uh-huh. I mean, you know, it's built into us to want to survive, mm-hmm. to want to look out, you know, even to continue our, our, our genetic pool and our bloodline, you know, with our children and things like that. Actions that may seem selfless, like sacrificing your life for your child, at the end of the day, kind of, you know, has has a selfish motivator behind it because you want your, your offspring, your line to be continued on mm-hmm. and your memory to be continued mm-hmm. on, you know. And um, in all truth, I I don't know if I believe in true altruism, and that that mm-hmm. doesn't bother me. Man, I just wish so badly that I just knew I was absolutely down to serve the Lord just for the Lord's benefit. Like that would be a dream come true. But you do know. you believe that God is in absolute, complete, intricate control? As in, like, um. We're getting into like an idea that I haven't thought about much, but I'll try to rationalize it. Okay. What I'm trying to ask is if you feel that way, is it not God's will that you feel that way? And if you are to get to a point of true altruism, then is that not already in the cards for you as part of the plan that God has laid out for you? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, man. That again, that that puts all the ball in the court of the Lord. Yeah. Which I love that idea right. of, but and doesn't remove responsibility from you. In time, you are making decisions that you know that have equal and opposite reactions and things like that and you learn from those lessons and you you reap what you sow. If you you know, do something stupid, you get hurt for it. You know, but at the same time, mm-hmm. There's still a part of me, and I wrestle with this a lot. I, I wrestle with the existence of God from day to day, man. And that's just me being honest. You know, like mm-hmm. there was maybe a few months ago where I would feel the same thing and say, oh, I'm just, you know, having a rough day spiritually. But I've gotten to the point of transparency and honesty with myself and others to say, God's not real to me today. You know, and so far, God always comes bursting back onto the scene. And it's like, you know, He's not like, why didn't, why didn't you believe in me? He's like, man, I'm right here. I love you so much, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, I feel like there's a there's a value in, in that level of honesty, um, even if it's something that you don't like how it looks, such as not being as selfless as you want to be. And one thing's for damn sure, if mm-hmm. you try to make yourself be selfless, ain't gonna work out. Oh, it's exhausting. It's awful. I'll tell you what happens is I'm maybe starting to come out of a period where I was exhausted from exhausting myself. And uh, it was about work. I'll get to the work. Later on in my story, I'm I'm about to go back to to leaving New York. But but I'm going to get to the part of my story where where I became exhausted this past right. winter from 
trying to be as selfless as possible. Which is an absurd statement, I hope you realize. Trying to be as selfless as possible. (laughs) One might infer the motivator being a selfish one to be selfless. No offense, I love you, bro, with all of my heart, and I know this only because I've been there. I'm not making fun of you at all. I'm only relating because I know what that's like. Not only do I know it, but I lived there for years and years and years. Oh, trying to trying make to myself be selfless. Be selfless. <laughs> Honestly, for me at the time, it was to, you know, to to get tally marks in, in, in my favor, you know, to... Uh-huh. To get in good with God, with this angry father. God is not an angry father. God is a gracious, loving parent. God is love. Yes. Um. So I decided to open myself up to multiple possibilities of what God could want me to do for work. And I had talked to my pastor, and he said— uh, well, what kind of career are you going to get so you can support a family? I said, hmm, I have a career? I have to have it's a our generation, man, I swear. <laughs> yeah, so it's like I uh, kind of backtracked in my head. I was like, what could I do career-wise that would I know I could do forever? Or at least if I didn't become a rock star, because right. I still wanted to become a rock star at this point. If I didn't become a rock star, yes. I could do for the rest of my life, and I know I'll, I'll glorify God with it. I was becoming a music teacher. So I moved back from New York um, to go to school in Kentucky and started a, a four-year mm-hmm. journey mm-hmm. of going to Murray State University. Yeah. Um, and the whole time, it was built on this this idea that I'm allowed to work for God. I'm allowed to do stuff that maybe doesn't make me super happy or maybe doesn't like, you know, it's not my dream come true, but it's glorifying to the Lord. So I did that and I'm still involved in churches everywhere I'm going. I, I mean, when I went back to Kentucky, I started going to the church that I first left when I was 17 and it was great, man. That's a really good way to kind of conclude that story there about your church. Uh huh. The first time I went back to church there, my youth minister, who was my youth minister when I was younger, he still played, wow, he cool. still played drums there, and he's still highly influential. And he was he's still one of the oh, most upstanding guys and caring, loving guys there. And um, he asked me. I mean, he had saw he had seen my life change I was on Facebook and social media. Um, he said, "Do you want to play drums?" At church, I said, absolutely, I do. Because, you know, here I am still, and even to this day, man, I'm still trying to serve the Lord as much as I can by playing drums for him. Um, <clears throat> we had a practice. And, dude, this was the only night that I've physically seen the glory of the Lord. Only night. After practice, I went back to my grandma's house because that's who I was living with. And I went back out on her back patio and it was just raining, just raining, 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 thundering, lightning. And it was all black um, and heavy, heavy straight rain was coming straight down. Anyways, the whole sky would light up white for like a brief second and then go back to black. Then you would hear the crack of the thunder. All of a sudden, the sky lights up white, super bright, same thing. And uh, that's what I was expecting. 
But instead of it going back to black across the entire sky, over the tree line, giant pans of light started to move from oh, wow. the right to the left across the whole skyline. And the, the light alternated between white, wow. orange, and green. Then it go back to white, orange, and green. And it did this for a few seconds. It was incredible. And at that moment, I thought to myself, wow, I just saw the hospital explode. <laughs> I just saw lightning strike the hospital, yeah. and there's all those transformers in the back, and they all exploded. And I was like, I'm for sure going to read yeah. about that in the newspaper tomorrow. Well, I went to sleep yes. like being like, wow, yeah. that was incredibly amazing. And I was like, well, I picked up the newspaper in the morning and I did not find any wow. results about the hospital. And at that moment, I knew that I had seen the glory of the Lord. Like it, like it all hit me the same way I relate to the Lord in my own personal way through reading the Bible, fellowshipping, like those deep, intimate moments of connection with him that I've experienced. Was there ever a singular moment in time when not only did you decide that there was a universal energy animating the universe, but that it was Yahweh, the Trinity, the Bible is inerrant. Christ, you know, as understood by the modern church, is the way to understand Christ. Was there a moment where you sort of shifted from where you were into the lifestyle, um, almost dialect, you know, the the jargon of the modern Christian church? I think um, that happened for me. Um, through this period of fasting that I went through with my church in New York City. We fasted for three days, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. No, excuse me, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And then we all met at church on Wednesday to pray. And, like, I have just been so warmed up to the gospel and mm. to unconditional love and forgiveness and and trying to understand mm. who God was and what, what he was. And that was a moment I specifically remember just praying and just laying down on the floor of the church mm. while we're all praying. It was an incredible moment. And, um, and it, for me, dude, I'm yes, very yes, yes. kind of emotive. <laughs> so, so I just, I just sat there mm. feeling overwhelmed with joy and peace. And I don't know if there was a moment per se, yes. but that was mm -hmm. definitely one moment yeah. that I can remember basing mm -hmm. my belief around mm -hmm. the Bible and the Trinity and Christ and okay. the Bible's inerrancy, okay. as you put it. Are there any sort of mainstream uh, doctrine or dogma or anything like that that you're not 100% on board with, or is it just kind of across the board? For example, I know that Ed doesn't believe in eternal conscious torment uh, for hell. You know, he believes in annihilationism, that once you're punished for what you've done, once, once your just rewards have been paid, that you cease to exist sort of thing. 
and that that punishment is doled out through love because God loves all of his children and things like that. Yet beyond that, and maybe uh, some of his views about the end times, apart from those things, he, you would assume that he is very much you know, a, a, uh, a mainstream, some might say fundamentalist Christian. And so I'm just wondering if, like that, you have any parallel things that uh, that you maybe have a, a fringe or an outside sort of perspective on when it comes to biblical doctrine. Um, yes, I do. And it's only this. And this is the only thing that I'm dramatically concerned with all the time, that the only way to be reconciled to God is through a connection with him. And so all the only theology that I'm concerned with is getting people's attention to, to think about the nature of who God is, mm-hmm. what he did for them and accepting mm-hmm. his forgiveness and worshiping him in response to to what he has given them already like like all of my theology is based around that anything else is is mm, almost okay. not a concern for me because because I can't really see the worth in getting other people to think about anything else other than seeing the nature of God because to me that's the only way yeah. To experience transformation, not about dialing into philosophies as much as it is just basking in the glory of the Lord and letting him reflect on you. Are you familiar with the emergent church movement? They don't have any like doctrines. The only prerequisite for a, to, to become a member, anyone can come, but to, bec- to become a member, uh, you have to want to live a more Christ-like life life and that's it there's no doctrine you have to have this many ducks in a row Uh jesus descended to hell jesus didn't descend to hell you know all these things that split up churches sort of thing they're not about that they're about how we live how we practice what we say we believe Uh uh-huh i mean i i suppose that's similar but like it's not about living more like christ that will happen as a, a follow-up to what I'm talking about, but it's more just really getting down mentally and heart-wise and trying to f- just reflect on the nature of God and trying to like offer okay. him yourself and living in that moment and, mm-hmm. and keeping that moment at all times. And be, because that, if you can keep that moment more often, then you'll automatically start living like Jesus. Yeah. Do you think that it's possible um, to meet all those prerequisites and have a true passionate love for the creator of the universe and ask forgiveness and, you know, do unto others, treat your neighbor the way you want to be treated without the catalyst of knowing the name of, of Jesus? Um. <clears throat> I don't think that you can be reconciled with God until you trust in the name of Jesus Christ because that's what reconciled me to God. Mm. And that's what the Bible says. And through faith, I believe that. Right. I definitely know that people of the world 
can look a lot like Jesus, like on the outside. But I'm wondering what they would think about Jesus if they were to spiritually, you know, compare their own lives to that of Jesus. How would they look like Jesus if, you know, they thought about their spirit and they thought about Jesus's spirit? Uh, what do you mean by that? Um, well, your question was, could people essentially look like Jesus without knowing the name yeah. of him? Mm-hmm. I think that some people think they do look like him or maybe don't know his name and yes. other people may think that they look like Jesus. Uh-huh. But I'm wondering if they would still if they understood the spirit of Jesus and compared their spirit with his spirit. I see. Okay. I see what you're saying. Okay. So you don't think that there could be a Buddhist who is fully convicted and all about, you know, giving away all his possessions, loving the poor as altruistically as possible, you know, completely devout and loving and giving and non-judgmental and inclusive you know, all these attributes which we contribute to Christ, which Christ taught and which Christ lived by example, um, could that person not resemble Jesus? I mean, how can, how can you resemble something that you don't know? Uh, I, I think you can very easily. Have you met my buddy, man? He reminds me just of you. He looks just like you. He acts just like you. You know, I mean, I think you can resemble something you've never seen before. Is that just a comparison made by a third party? Well, who else is going to be the... It takes a third party to say whether or not you resemble something, including Jesus. Then, well, I mean, doesn't that seem objective instead of the truth? You think they're mutually exclusive? Like, something can not be both objective and the truth? Or do you, or do you mean subjective? Like, true to one person, not to another? Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Okay. Anyways, mind you, I am not I'm not the type of person to 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 find very hard standing ground with this. Again, this is yes. this kind of this kind of philosophy is not my concern. Right, right. Sure, 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 sure. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 My concern is of just uh trying to see who God is. Yes. Rather than trying right. to see rather than trying to speculate because I find no substance in speculation. Right. Can I beat that dead horse one more time? Is that yeah, right? Yeah, of course. What about, I mean, this begs the question, but, you know, what about the Jews who lived in the Old Testament before Christ came? How could they try to emulate Jesus when they'd never seen him before and they never even heard his name? Isn't that the same as, like, you know, a Buddhist or anyone who is... Well, did they have a law? Yeah, they had a law. But, you know, Christ came to fulfill the law and, in a sense, to disperse with the law. We don't need to count how many times we walk on the Sabbath. We don't need to not eat the quote-unquote holy bread. Didn't you read about David in the Old Testament? You know, he said to the Pharisees. And when it, I feel like when it comes down to it, Jesus broke a lot of laws, and that was almost kind of his point. Was, hey, guys, we don't need these laws anymore. We need love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know about the Jews, man. Like I've never I've never put a lot of mind to how do they match up with what was believed about Jesus or who Jesus is. 
like it's hard for me to see that as my personal concern. Mm. Sure. Yeah. I love that. I love it. it. If it doesn't affect me right here, right now, what's the big deal? <laughs> it's not in my circle of influence. I just don't find speculation as, as it doesn't change me. You know what I mean? Because I was going to say, how far does that go? Because whether or not Satan was literally a snake does not affect you any more than the concept of the Jews and their relationship with the law and Jesus and, and things like that. That doesn't affect you right here. That doesn't affect you right now. Whether or not that was literal, you know, metaphorically, quote unquote, I use that term liberally as well, but as a metaphor, as a lesson, let's say, as, as, a, as a lesson, it affects you. But whether or not it was a literal occurrence has no effect on you. Because there ain't no snake around here trying to whisper secrets and, you know, about eating apples and stuff like that, you know? It could have an effect emotionally on me. Emotionally, and- yeah. Emotionally, you know, metaphysically, uh, you know, as, as a fable, quote unquote. I don't, when I say fable, I'm not excluding the possibility it could have been a real thing. I'm saying as a lesson to be taken away from it. Mm-hmm. So why does one thing have to be literal and affect you even though it's outside of your your reach in time and space well i it it boils down to maybe a confidence thing maybe i'm not confident about speculating or discussing matters that i don't understand as well as matters that i do understand okay matters that you do understand as in the existence of the literal serpent no no i'm not even discussing that i'm talking about like the part about the Jews and Jesus and how are the Jews, I guess, represent Jesus before Jesus was in the world. Okay. That kind of stuff. Gotcha, gotcha. Cool. But man, no, like a lot of what I believe is based on faith, mm-hmm. you know? So mm-hmm. it's just like... Does the faith come to you or is it something that you have to work at? Do you wake up one day and say, wow, I have faith in this, or is it, I need to work towards this? Um, I don't know. Cool. I don't know. Cool. I like paradoxes. Is that a paradox? At least half of one. I don't know. 30%. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate having faith and I want to have more of it. So that's yeah, a driving same. force behind yeah. behind um, how I approach faith mm, and having yeah. faith. Right. If there's an opportunity for me to have more faith, I want it. Right. Is it up to you to acquire it? I don't I don't know. Mm. I feel like it's given to me. Mm. I feel like it's given to me just like everything else is given to me. Okay. Makes sense. So, uh, any closing thoughts? Uh, any questions for me? Any uh, anything to clarify or that needs clarification? Um, because I said some pretty weird stuff. <laughs> no, you didn't. No, it's great, man. I love having I love having my mind pushed. Um, because I get to understand a different part of myself when that happens. Mm, I like that. You got some good one liners. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) I wish I had a funny joke 
Um, I'm just trying to think about where I left off in my story. Because I did one, I mean, I know we've been talking for a while, but I did want to say that I worked as a music educator. And then finally I, I got to the point where I was allowed to get a job mm. in music education. And the whole pinnacle of working and trying to be as selfless as possible because of how amazing God was to me in the beginning and how, how amazing he still is every single day. That drove me to a point of just absolute sadness um, absolute just, mm, just feeling wow. empty. And don't get me wrong, like, there are a lot of things that I hope for in the world, like, you know, my whole being a rock star thing. Yeah. There is another thing in that, like that in my life, and that's having a family. But to have a family, you have to have a girlfriend. And when my yes. heart gets really broken because I, I don't have a girlfriend, uh-huh. like, you know, sometimes my life falls apart. And, yeah. you know, when my hopes get up really high and nothing happens, like, that can really affect me. So I got to this point where it didn't work out with this girl. I liked her and I told her I liked her basically. And she didn't like me back. Yeah. So we basically had to end things, but I got to this point where it was so hard for me to work at all for God, even though I knew mm. like, it's awesome. Like he's still going to deliver me into his presence. So that was the coming back to the whole work thing. Now I'm finally starting to, see a different part of God where, you know, I'm Mm. still serving in church and I'm still trying to read my Bible and journal about things that I read in my Bible and just having my thoughts about what the Bible is saying and stuff. But my outlook is a little bit different. Mm. Um, I'm maybe, I'm not like giving up on working for God, Mm. but I'm definitely allowing myself to have some margin in my life to where maybe I don't have to do all the work that I once thought I did. You know, maybe I need to go back to just being accepted by God for who I I am. Yes. Yeah. That was my closing thought. (laughs) Can I ask you one more really weird kind of awkward question that you don't have to answer? You don't want to, you can't say no after I said it. I'd like that. Okay. Um, okay. So, and I totally agree with you here that God is love and God is a loving father, the perfect loving father. And a phrase that you kept using is his unconditional love. And I really, I love that, that phrase. I love that a lot. That reminds me of a mother's love, you know, uh-huh. unconditional. And um, I believe that God is all powerful, omnipotent, and that we are all his children. And so I want to ask did this have to happen? And if so, why did Jesus have to die? If so, why, if God is such a loving father who do anything for his kids, I could wreck my dad's car, accidentally commit manslaughter, even murder someone. And my dad might even lie in jail for me in order to get me out of it. You know what I mean? And yet, you know, God is a just God and and this and that. But I mean, in his omnipotence, is it not impossible? I'm just, I'm playing devil's advocate here. Is it not impossible that Christ would come to show us, to remind us of that link between us and the divine? And then because of our sins, we killed him because we were sinful. 
we chose to kill him because he was God and he was perfect and we didn't we didn't get it. And I'm just I guess what it comes down to is I'm asking was a blood sacrifice from an omniscient, omnipotent, loving father of a God essential to bridge the gap between us and him? Absolutely. Okay, can you expand on that? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> without a blood sacrifice, there is no, there is no sacrifice for sins. There is no propitiation. And even the sacrifice of bulls and goats didn't didn't last for more than a year. What, what I'm saying more so is, um, like, what's the last time that you messed up at home and uh, you know, and and your dad had to go kill a chicken over it? Why must there be blood? He just forgave you. Well, I mean, that's a lot. What, what's it like? I don't understand what your analogy. I'm saying you're saying there has to be blood sacrifice for there to be forgiveness. I'm saying we we imperfect fathers forgive our offspring all the time without blood sacrifice. Yeah, it's hard for me to compare um, what I do to the mystery of why we needed Jesus mm-hmm. to be a sacrifice for us. Now, the only reason that I can think is that he lived a life that was sinless. So I felt like it was very important for God to send down somebody who was sinless, Mm -hmm. uh, who didn't deserve to die. So he could be killed, you know, Mm -hmm. because that leaves everything out of our hands that leaves us so insignificant that leaves us so unimportant we can't do anything um it's it's already been done what this sinless dude died for us it's hard for me to not accept that when that's been so impactful mm-hmm. on my life yeah. that like you know I didn't have to do anything because god sent a sinless person to be a sacrifice for yeah. us mm-hmm. And I felt like, you know, Jesus is part of him. Jesus is him. Mm -hmm. So, and we are his children. And I don't know why he made it like this, but he allowed sin to happen. He allowed it all to, to be set in motion. And I'm, I'm wondering if, well, it's got to, it's all got to reflect on the nature of him in some way. Yeah. His divine nature. And maybe letting us experience sin is, and his redemption is, in a sense, you know, letting us see the greatness of his power. Like, he could let it go completely one way uh-huh. and completely destructive, but in essence, he wants to redeem us all. In his omnipotence, could he also let it go the other way and just universally save everybody? Yeah, of course, he could do that. Okay. But I don't think... um I don't think that's what he wants because he let us have such a huge choice. A to choice, make. right, right. But also, he already knows the choice we're going to make. Hmm. Yeah, man, that's a really good answer. I like that answer a lot. What was the point of this? What's the point? Of what? Of the whole thing? Of the podcast? Uh-huh. Or, or, or uh, Documenting my own personal uh, spiritual 
kind of growth and transformation and seeing where I end up on the, on the other end of it. I started it when I started, uh, identifying as an agnostic Christian, which is to me, I know that those people feel like, what are you talking about? But to me, it's enhanced my faith and my honest relationship with God, with the, with the divine more than I've ever experienced in my life. It's me when I have a doubt, not shoving it under the rug, not saying, God, please don't be mad at me. I had a little bit of a doubt, but you know, God, please don't be mad at me. Don't be mad. I feel like I just looked around and I saw a lot of scared Christians. I'd make a little joke, obviously a little joke. And they'd be like, you can't say that. And who are they looking to? Who who are they checking to make sure nobody heard? (laughs) They're making sure God didn't hear. That's not my God. My God is love. My God is the God that is there when the God I thought I knew disappears. That's a, a quote. <laughs> that's a quote from Paul Tillich. I have to give a homage where it is due. But um, to me, it's just being honest and saying, I live here and now. I experience God. I have plenty of room to acknowledge the doubts that I've honestly always had. And I am not afraid to pursue those doubts. And wherever they lead me, I'm not scared to go there. Ironically, because of my faith in God, because I believe that God is going to wind me up where I'm supposed uh, to wind up. Yeah. Iron- awesome. It's so ironic though, because yeah, a lot, awesome. a lot of the times I, I don't, God's not real to me. Okay, yeah. I mean, that's that's what it's a lot of times. It's like a step of faith. Right. It's the most ironic faith it, ever. <laughs> it can't be real like to you. If it was so real, it wouldn't be faith. Wait, can you say that again? If it was so real, it wouldn't be faith. Yes, yes. It would be right there in front of you. Yeah, it'd be easy. Yeah. It wouldn't be faith. Yeah. That's like me uh, deliberately pursuing that band. I felt like mm, the band mm. in New York was like, well, that's so, I mean, I'm, but I'm going to pursue it because I know I'm going to be delivered. Right. To the Lord. So it's good, man. I'm glad that you are allowing yourself to be yourself. Yeah. Like in, you're doing it in the name of God. Wow. Incredible. <laughs> I'm so sure that he's going to deliver you deeper into himself. I appreciate that, man. That means a lot. It really does. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And I feel like I also have to maybe possibly embarrass you a little bit and give on this public medium, I have to give you a huge thanks for the amazing Austrian sports jacket that you gifted me just because (laughs) My sports jacket was too crappy to wear to a wedding. And so you gifted me this nice, the nicest jacket I've ever owned in my life. You would not take it back. I tried to like hide it in your dorm room when I left. And you're like, hey, you forgot something. Not take it back. You looked good in it. I bet you still look good in it. I I know I look all right. (laughs) But seriously though, man, thank you so much for doing that. And that's what I'm talking about with, with you living Christ. And and being you know whatever member of that body you are and uh, you and hey well I get it from you man shut up it's I mean well at least a little bit it started with you and Ashley man that, 
That warms my heart, man. Thank you. That means the world. I love you, brother. I love you, Z. I love you a lot, man. <laughs> I love you too, man. I'm so glad we had this conversation. Me too, yeah. It's going to be really hard to edit this down because it's all so good. But, uh, <laughs> but it's like almost two hours, I'm, right? It's, it's well over. <laughs> all right, man. I love you, brother. I love you too. I'll talk to you later. All right, man. Have a good night. Bye, you too. There you have it, guys. That was my interview with Zena Garcia. A uh, very interesting character and very loving, loving person. One of the most loving people I know. Just very selfless and very giving. And you can definitely, through and through, kind of tell where his heart is at. Uh, you know, all, all other things being equal. Where his heart is and his true servant attitude really shines through. Uh, hopefully we'll have another interview for you next week. Um, to be honest, I'm still kind of trying to figure out the direction of the show as far as the format goes. Uh, I know I've had a few episodes where I just kind of read scripture, kind of did a talk and a commentary on that. Uh, you know, I've, I've had some guest segments like uh, Pop Goes the Doctrine with my dad. Um, I'd love to do a Q&A with Jay segment, and he is up for that. All we need is questions from you guys. Uh, any questions or any topics that you'd like him to cover, you can just shoot them either by voicemail to Air of Grievances at 612-460-0364. You can also email airofgrievances at gmail.com. Uh, you can also go to my patreon.com slash airofgrievances to uh, find out a little bit more information about what's going on, maybe see some kind of uh, funny promotional videos and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, I'm just trying to kind of figure out which direction to go from here, and I'd love some input from you guys in, in any format, be it constructive criticism or dickish asshole criticism. I'll take either. I'll take whatever I can get. I'll take whatever I can get. I'll talk to you guys next week. I love you.
demonstration movie. Orchestration movie.